Join us for a conversation about the future of transportation and mobility as a service. Today, with two inspiring guests. This is The Evolution Show. Welcome to The Evolution Show. I'm your host, Johan Landgren. Today we address the question, how can we combine mobility as a service, electric transportation, and self-driving technology? And with me today, I have two special guests. Welcome, Anna Pernestol and Sue Selinski. I start with you, Anna. You're back here for the third show. And uh, it's thanks to you that we have Sue here today. So I thought, uh, and, and Anna, you're director at uh, KTH Stockholm and also a senior researcher at uh, KTH Stockholm Royal Institute of Technology. And you're organizing also a conference um, that's coming up, CIT 2019, or Integrated, uh, what's <laughs> the name? You can tell me. Yes, I, I'm director at Integrated Transport Research Lab yeah. at KTH, that's true. And we're organizing a conference called uh, in International Conference on Integrated Transport. There you have it. <laughs> and uh, for that conference, we have invited Sue here. Uh, as a keynote speaker, I'm super excited to hear your talk uh, on the conference. Um, and you are an in currently are an independent consultant That's right, yeah. and a change agent for uh, citizen mobility. But you I have try. <laughs> <laughs> but you have worked more than more than twenty years with uh, sustainable mobility. I think more than thirty. It's more than thirty. Years. I know. I started when I was twelve. <laughs> wow! Cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and uh, with advance, uh, advancing smart mobility and sustainable mobility systems That's right, exactly. in more than 25 countries. Yes. I think yes. I read on the... <laughs> <laughs> I've worked in, in that many countries. Yeah. Wow, that's, mm. that's really amazing. And uh, between two so 2006 and 2017, you were the director of SMART mm -hmm. at the University of Michigan. That's right. Um, yes. and. Uh, as I said, now you are here in Sweden to uh, talk to uh, the conference on KTH uh, next week. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so delighted to be here. I really appreciate the inv invitation. Wow, wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, SMART? Sure. Um, I should say I, I started out as a, an urban planner and focused on transportation at the city of Toronto. And then I was recruited to SMART after that. So I went from actually doing the work of planning and, and trying to think through how to integrate everything together because it seemed so disparate. And it wasn't focusing on the user, it was focusing more on what different options are better than others instead of how, sh how do we make a whole system of them. So um, I was recruited to SMART to um, actually lead an effort, catalyze an effort, to bring all the different elements together as a system. And this was a really rare thing. Uh, there were so many silos in transportation. So um, the, there are many different disciplines and departments at the University of Michigan that were interested in doing that. So uh, the key things that we focused on were um, sort of bringing the players together around mobility as a service. It wasn't called mobility as a service <laughs> yet, but. I feel like I've been working on mobility as a service since about 1990, uh, trying to think about how all the different things come together. 
And so we worked with, um, first of all, um, in support of um, different companies. We were in the belly of the automotive beast. We were right near Detroit. And uh, we worked a lot with the automotive industry, which was very exciting. Um, we also worked with a lot of different cities. And um, I guess a few of the main things we ended up doing were um, developing um, uh, a methodology for leaders in different cities to bring together the whole systems with the focus on the user. We also developed something called the Mobi platform, which was, um, I guess it was a platform for new mobility enterprises. And at the time, there were no plat such platforms online to understand globally. You could There were a lot of things, US-based entrepreneurs that were being profiled, but um, there was not a lot going on sort of globally. So we did that as well. And then we did a lot of research on systems approaches around sustainable transportation. I'm just wondering, uh, when you mentioned you were work working a bit with the automotive industry, and I read that you had been uh, you've been collaborating your or you have helped Ford to develop their mobility as a service kind of technology. In in what way could you describe how that process was, and in what way did you help Ford? Uh, because I'm I'm curious, obviously, because I follow technology in general mm -hmm. and, and automotive in um, companies, and today I think that's sort of they're catching up again, Ford, in, in terms of electrification. Mm -hmm. uh, they recently invested like $500 million in this company called Rivian, which is a new startup for um, SUV, uh, electric SUVs, which is really like hot yes. company. And I think that was a very important step for Ford because previously before that, it was only pickups they were making money on. They're actually selling comp um, factories and they had problems Ford, obviously. So, so how did you work with Ford? And could you yeah, elaborate on that maybe? Mm. Um, actually, just an aside, um, Henry Ford had invented an electric car <laughs> back in the 30s, <laughs> so they were way ahead. Um, and it turns out, it turned out, so it was this beautiful synergy because I landed at Michigan right at the time when um, I think Bill Ford, who was at that point the chair and the CEO of Ford, was interested in going beyond what he was doing before, wanted to make sure that it was a good company, a profitable company, and good for the planet. And he had always been that way, but with the specific products they had at the time. And uh, so when I got there, we had done, in Tor I was, when I was working at the city of Toronto for 15 years, and um, I mean, the way that that evolved was that, um, we had a situation where we were asked as planners to take an economic approach to make sure that everything we did was either going to save money, create jobs, revitalize regional economies, or you know boost industry in some ways. It was that was just the general mood, and so it was around the same time as industry clusters came around the Porter approach to all the different sectors coming together as a cluster. And uh, so uh, at the time, um, I was able to, from my position, develop an industry cluster approach to new mobility, which I thought would already have been done by then. This was in 1995. And uh, actually, yeah, and, and I, I don't know uh, what happened, but I called all my, my expert friends around the world and they were like, oh, nobody's done that study. In fact, you know, we, we haven't really been talking about an industry cluster. So it was just a really wonderful coincidence that, you know, we held this big conference 
of examples of where sustainable mobility wasn't a cost. We so often see it as a public drain on the purse and, and it's only for people who can't afford cars, sustainable transportation. So uh, this turned it around in a sense because um, we were able to get um, national funding to develop this conference. And um, it turned out that there were many, two, over 200 examples around the world where um, any of those benefits were happening as opposed to talking about the problems of sustainable transportation. So basically, uh, um, University of Michigan wanted to see a lot of um, development, industry development as well. And we, um, we, I commissioned a study on the emerging new mobility industry. And at the time, it wasn't called the emerging new mobility industry because nobody had really sort of been talking about it that way, but we wanted to just sort of frame it. And um, that actually was something that we could bring forward to Michigan. And so it just happened that we had something we could give to Ford Motor Company to say, okay, how can we mobilize some of this? And uh, then there was a kind of an inconvenient little economic downturn, at which point um, I think everybody, Ford and the entire industry, including all the IT partners, had to kind of regroup. But um, what I think was really amazing about Ford was that they kept supporting our work in advancing the new mobility industry and especially global markets, which I thought had a lot, also a lot of foresight. So um, we were invited to India and uh, I thought we would focus mainly on India, but then um, it just continued in all different countries. We were in, people heard what we were doing there and then we were invited to all different countries and we were able to see the, um, the sort of emergence of, of industry that was trying to also look at sustainable transportation from a much flatter point of view. But when you, I mean, when you say sustainable mobility, mm -hmm. what what do you mean with sustainable mobility? What is sustainable sustainable mobility for you? Well, <coughs> I guess my soundbite is moving people, moving goods, and moving less in ways that are cleaner, greener, safer, healthier, and more equitable and more connected as a system. But just moving back to Ford, then, how mm -hmm. did that affect? Did you see any result for uh, Ford as a company, either in U.S. or globally? You say you were. I guess you were spreading the word about mobility as a service in other countries as well. You mentioned India and so on. Have you seen any positive effects of, of your research being implemented by Ford or any other company or any city, something like that? Thank you for bringing that back because that to me was the most spectacular surprise. I mean, I was there thinking that we were going to be chugging ahead, trying to keep the sustainable mobility thing. And, and with this new angle, which had a real, um, um, a real push to it, but um, seeing the leadership at Ford, this was back in 2006, and uh, there was leadership from um, Sue Sishke, who was the vice president of safety and sustainability. And she had brought all the different uh, vice, um, vice presidents together of Ford to hear about our, our Toronto study and a subsequent study that the students had done at the University of Michigan to add to it, to make it possible to think of the industry cluster, um, of the uh, industry cluster of the Ford that was think thinking about. 
And um, it was really inspiring to see how they said, this is the future, this is the way we want to move, and you have our complete support. So basically they, first of all, supported my presence, my continued presence at the University of Michigan. And they also supported our, um, our um, I guess our work with all these different cities. And from there, they have since um, completely developed this giant um, effort in Silicon Valley. Um, at, when there was the uh, economic downturn, um, Bill Ford then linked with some other key industry people and developed um, an LLC that pushed technology and sustainable transportation, and that was keeping on going. So all of these things were continuing. And then as this, this idea grew of the sort of integrated mobility, uh, not just the separate entrepreneurial um, startups and um, new kinds of mobility innovations, but as a system. And so um, it, was, it, it was really fantastic that they began to invest in it and actually take real responsibility for saying, we want this to change the planet. So you can say financing a different project on sustainability or research, in, in, or also, and also you said entrepreneurship or I guess programs like that in Silicon Valley. That's what Ford did. did uh, well, I wouldn't say financing. So oh, it w oh. it, it's really super important to, to not think about it as corporate social responsibility. It wasn't, oh, let's fund a cute little project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it was actually, w we are changing our business because we see that it's going to make money. It's going mm -hmm. to be a real business. And that was the big difference. And in fact, what would happen sometimes when we went to the other countries would be that there would be other industries there as well, global industries industries and they would be they're saying oh Ford's here you know what's their business model and um, you know business models have to evolve especially when they're with big companies and so my answer was always oh I couldn't possibly tell you but this is a really important direction so that was able that people were able to um, think oh, okay then if Ford thinks that this is a really good business model then there's a little bit more energy for us to be able to do that. So I think what that did was it started a domino effect with not only the automotive industry, but all of the other related industries. And, and in the industry cluster, I mean, there's not just even IT, there's energy, there's real estate development, tourism, consulting, mm -hmm. architecture, yeah. you know, all of the different startups, yeah. the services. So we'll come back to that. I think mm -hmm. Anna has some good questions there also. Yeah, mm -hmm. or I think, um, do, do you see uh, do you see the development that we have that we have to see today because now today everyone is talking about sustainable transport mm -hmm. and sustainable mobility did that start then with your work at, at ford or <clears throat> to me it seems like no one was talking about sustainable mobility until uh, say five years ago or something like that uh, or do you see like a continuation from that time? I, to I actually, I totally see it as a continuation. There was a lot of, it was basically the recent stuff is the tip of the iceberg. And so people like Michael Glatz Richter in, in Germany, uh, he was a, a major inspiration for us at the city of Toronto because he had already developed an on the ground example of integrated mobility, including IT, including sort of traffic signaling and everything. And he also even brought goods into it. 
and he was doing it primarily from a public sector point of view, but he did work with industry. But that gave us some kind of a lever into making more industry be involved. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, um, there were catalyst points, but it's really important to know that this mobility as a service word is a fantastic description, I think, because it's exactly what it is. But um, it's really important to see all the people, the, the shoulders that we stand on. Um, many of us had been thinking that there would be technologies and there would be new approaches to integration that would come up and that would serve this integrated system. But it, it really took a sort of a perfect storm of the new technologies which led to new business model opportunities like the, the even the capacity to do like the Airbnb like things and the Uber like things through the technologies and in a safer way where you know bike share systems wouldn't mean people throwing bicycles into mm -hmm. the river and and uh, keeping track of it on paper so all of those things um, were so important and even the kinds of different thinking about policies when you know technology was outpacing policy such that we had to kind of look at how do we see this as a platform where all of the different sectors are working together as an ecosystem as opposed to the silos that they were in. So all of those things related to, I think, the, the, the techno technology evolutions and the business model evolutions and then the cultural evolutions that, that connected with the original um, uh, catalyst point. <coughs> yeah, I was thinking also about um, implementing these in the, uh, there's different cities different cities have different conditions obviously yes. uh, and uh, do you have can you pinpoint any place do you think that has been able to combine different modes of transport for, for example or, uh, or can you say something that you've learned from your research that gives like kind of a general clue or idea of this could be implemented you know, in many places perhaps not everywhere and perhaps not 100% the way you you originally did it in the model or in your business model but uh, yeah, what can we learn from mobility as mm -hmm. a service? Right. So uh, just a quick answer to your question is, yes, it can be done and it can be done everywhere. And that is related to one of our major learnings, which is that in every city, it needs to be customized. But there are ways that that can be done that can actually have those things be interoperable with other cities. So, um, when we first set out to try and figure out how to more systematically do integrated mobility systems or mobility as a service, um, I just asked them, you know, can we get you to do a map of everything that you have? And, you know, like even the informal transit like the auto rickshaws and things like that, where they park and the vans and, and all of the things that you don't even count necessarily as, as transportation, but that along with parking lots, with um, even churches where you could put car shares, mm -hmm. like all these different things, and then overlay everything and then put a red dot where two or, two or more things already connect. So the discovery that we had there was that actually a lot of cities already have their own systems and sometimes the people know it more than the leaders do because up until that point that we were working on this we saw a shift 
And we don't, I don't think that that was because of us. I think we helped it along, but there was a shift going on like, oh, we have budget constraints. We're going to have to start working together more. So that was happening as well. So I think what we learned was A, it has to be customized, but B, you can actually assess very quickly what you have and it's almost never been done. And we brought together, the, the way that we did this was we brought together the different leaders um, of transportation uh, and, and we had them participate in making that map. And um, it was the CEOs, it was the mayors, it was the NGOs, um, it was all of the different um, startups. And we realized that they had never met each other. Um, in like the first maybe 15 cities, we almost always had, oh, well, you know what? We've been, he's at the, at the provincial or state level and I'm at the local level. We've both been working for over 10 years in this. We haven't met each other yet. <laughs> so seeing that and um, understanding that there were these um, um, new technologies and approaches that could accelerate not only the ecosystem, but the user-focused door-to-door trip, like how, how you can chain it together so much more easily. Mm -hmm. Can I just uh, add to that? Uh, because everything now is about connectability and mm -hmm. collecting data. Mm -hmm. And I think like you, you were early on, obviously thinking about the system approach, but can you see it change from, I, I guess you're talking about early 2000s now, or maybe late 90s that mm -hmm. you were working on this, mm -hmm. but now everything is about, you know, assembling the data, you know, seeing the details. And, and then I come back to self-driving technology a little mm -hmm. bit here, because uh, one of the companies now, or actually with the, perhaps the, the one company leading the electrification and self-driving technology is Tesla mm -hmm. in many ways. And recently there was a news, I don't know if you heard about it, but he, Elon Musk, you know, the, the founder and CEO, he also has this sp SpaceX company, yeah. private, mm -hmm. yeah. And they are setting up um, uh, satellites right now to create this super internet, mm -hmm. um, you know, on, on a satellite level, on a global mm -hmm. level, which is going to be cheap and accessible. And this also, of course, then connects back to, uh, relates back to um, having access to data. And mm -hmm. also, uh, like Anna's been talking about, it's really difficult for some self-driving uh, vehicles to drive in every environment. How can they, you know, do that without having the human mindset and experience and so on. But with this satellite accessibility, and we have, you know, in a couple of years, they will have 12,000 satellites connecting the whole of the planet. And and that way they will be able perhaps to, to create this neural network of decision-making and collecting experience. And that might be a leap forward, uh, I think in self-driving technology, but also in mobility as a service. Could you see any, uh, connections there that might be, uh, you know, improving the way we can connect the things and in the city, for example, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a tricky question, but oh no, uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely love yeah. it. So yeah. one of the things I think that we can do as humans is that we can tend to mix up the ends and the means. We can mix up whether that thing is helping us meet our goals or if that thing is a goal. So uh, you might think, oh, this big integrated technology system is our goal, you know, um, or uh, maybe integrated city infrastructure is our goal. Um, but, but, well, is it really? Or is our goal to make life better for us all on the planet? And therefore, what becomes an enabler, what becomes a tool, and what becomes 
the outcome. And I think when you get bling kinds of things, and I'm not saying that it's not really exciting, I'm just saying that when things are like self-driving cars are so conceivable, you can you can just think, oh, that's so groovy. Like I, I personally want a jet pack. That's a thing I've always wanted since the, <laughs> since the early 60s. Um, but those are, those are such, um, those are the, the parts of the system. Those are contributing to what our goals are. So I think um, the more that we can understand that, for example, automation doesn't have to be just for cars. Automation can be across the whole system. It can help walking, it can help cycling, and it can help pull the whole system together. And the same with the business models. They can, they can go across the whole system, but in order to make our lives better. And that can be by improving you know, just our daily lives. It can be uh, by improving our economies, by improving safety, by improving the environment. So those are the major goals that we should be working towards. And then how do we use the things like Elon Musk is inventing? How do we use those new, um, using uh, new financing mechanisms that are really um, supportive of making our lives better in those general ways? I think we have to flip that. Yeah, I, I fully, I fully agree with you. And uh, <clears throat> I, I also read uh, about the smart, uh, the smart lab uh, that you were uh, directing uh, before uh, about yeah combining accessibility and mobility, or rather mm -hmm. talking about accessibility rather than mobility. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I really think that's a, a good way to see uh, to look at mobility. It's not the it's not the end. It's it's a mean to reach. Absolutely, the end. and you know sometimes it's <coughs> funny that uh, sometimes people um, think of it as uh, they say accessibility to, to destinations, and it's like no, mm -hmm. because in order to meet your needs, you don't need to go somewhere. Like uh, the, the, one of the things that's left out often is moving goods and moving less. So, for example, we're always thinking mm -hmm. about we have to go somewhere. But um, there are so many ways um, to, well, moving goods is really important, especially because we're, we're going to be sharing the streets more with goods movement. Um, and uh, it's such an economic uh, importance, goods movement. But in terms of moving less, it's not a sacrifice. It's so that we don't have to move all the time. So it could be through tele-everything, like telework, telecommerce, telemedicine, really important in the emerging economies, especially in places with huge traffic. So, so many heart attacks end up in death because ambulances can't get through. If, there's, if there were ways of doing the telemedicine to address things, um, you know, uh, remotely. Um, also better uh, local production and distribution, um, urban gardening, all sorts of uh, better urban planning to reduce or replace trips. So all of these things could be not only personal benefits, but they could also be amazing innovations for the economy. They could be new business models. They could be new startups. And we're kind of just focusing so much on the automated vehicles. And when we, we might want to say, well, let's focus on how automation can help us. Yeah, uh, I'm just yeah. Uh, since we're talking about automation and self-driving vehicles, th there's been a report two years ago called Rethink X. What Tony Seiba, I don't know, but he, he talks about a similar concept. Uh, he's not he's not saying mobility as a service. He talks about transport as a mm -hmm. service. So he's basically focusing on on the, the vehicles and so on. 
But moving back to you say we're talking a lot about vehicles now, but we of course want to change the whole society and everything around the vehicles. Now it's so much focus on where can the cars and, and the trucks and uh, what have you drive, but they take up so much space. Uh, if you look in Los Angeles, for example, I, I don't remember the figure now, but it's you know, uh, so much space in, in uh, Los Angeles is basically for cars. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard for businesses to meet. There's hard to find places to build new houses, housing and so on. Um, but what stri stri strike me really as interesting was in the Rethink X report, they said that uh, within 10 years uh, of regulatory approval, the autonomous vehicles or 95% uh, of the passenger miles travel will be served by on-demand autonomous electric vehicles owned by fleets, not individuals. Um, and they call this transport as a service. Uh, and as a result, they say that transport as a service will, off a service will offer a vastly lower cost uh, transport alternatives, four, times, four to ten times cheaper per mile than buying a new car and two to four times cheaper than, than operating an existing vehicle. Mm -hmm. And they move on to the conclusion saying that simply it will be cheaper to, to be part of a network. Uh, we can call it Spotify prenumeration mm -hmm. instead of owning your own car. Mm -hmm. And how, how could that affect, I'm still talking of obviously about transport now and we like to lift it to another mm -hmm. level, but yep. still it's important because it enables other people, for example, to not live in the city center. You mm -hmm. could live outside, yep. as, outside mm -hmm. and, and still be have a community that right. maybe is flourishing. And what do you think about that? I mean, it's, it's still, you know, it's very, I mean, in a short time, only four years from now, they're talking about, or mm -hmm. actually when report was pointing to um, 2020. So the, yeah, 2021. 20, 20 so within two years, they were talking about, we could see the first kind of self-driving vehicles like this. But, but in general, how do you see it? it for me, it's so interesting to see that electrification, mobility as a service and self-driving technology coming together. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it opens for a lot of things, but it's still obviously, uh, like Anna has talking about, talked about in the previous program, a lot of problems as well. It can mm -hmm. result in the doubling of um, the, the, uh, the miles traveled per vehicle. So mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Is well, I'm so glad that you brought, you, your timing <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> um, I, again, I feel that saying self-driving vehicles and electrification and what was the third? Mobility <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, well, first of all, from my perspective, mobility as a service is the overarching framework and it's flexible. So I think we can, as humans, we want to define the heck out of things. We want, and, and uh, so you might be in a meeting in Europe and they'll say, do you think we should allow cars into mobility as a service? <laughs> and in the US it's like, well, why wouldn't we just have our entire system? You know, there were some auto, uh, you know, auto industry Detroit based um, ideas. Why don't we have just all automated vehicles? Because then we could control everything. And so I think what you've got is you've got all of these different ideas. And this is such a perfect and rich point at this moment. And it would be a real shame for us to say, this is the system we're going to decide on. And this is who's going to own it. I mean, there are so many huge issues of policy, ownership, financing, concentration of wealth, concentration of power, and all of those things have to be worked out. And it would be a real shame if we weren't um, right now 
pushing as many pilots, as many experiments, as many deployments onto the roads as in a safest way as possible to see how they all work together. Because in a way, just three things, first of all, thinking of it as just automated vehicles, but then, you know, automation, electrification. Electrification is really, it, it's, I, I don't know if you've heard that, you know, do you want the electricity or do you want the light that it provides? You mm -hmm. know, electrification is one, one way of fueling something. And so there are, could be many different options on into the future. And we want to keep our minds open in that kind of a system as opposed to um, something where we're deciding these are the three main things you know well I think actually business models are really important I mm -hmm. think the ecosystems what came out of our study we interviewed 60 different um, experts from around the world and uh, the public-private balance was one of the big things people were grappling with and, and how to make those ecosystems work because it's easy for people, especially at, at places like universities and corporations, to get together and say, okay, well, we're going to build the system and we're going to tell people why the system's good. And this is, this is often, you know, 12 men and a token woman in the room saying, we're going to mastermind a thing. And, oh, and, and some designers who know exactly how to design all stuff, you know. So I think um, we're, we're needing to learn how to understand each other's languages, how to respect each other across sectors. I've been in many... Um, you know, group situations where I'll hear it, maybe it's mainly um, industry and they'll say, you know what, we have to tell those people in the cities how things actually work. And then <laughs> I'll hear the exact same thing with cities like, oh, oh my God, you know, all they want to do is make <laughs> money. Well, you know, the more it's really such an exciting time right now, this transformation is absolutely happening. They're like, people are realizing, oh, uh, you know, if I were running the transit system in Mexico City, that would be really difficult. And, and you know, if I'm designing a car, it's different because I do have control over it. So there are all these evolutions that we have to have. And one of the things I really like to use as, a, as an example of the concept is um, there's a philosopher called James Carse, and he looks at finite and infinite games. And he says that finite games are played with the purpose of winning and infinite games are played with the purpose of continuing the play. And I think that we're in this opportunity right now, we're in this opportunity right now to um, look at everything that we evolve as something that is going to move into the next evolution as opposed to something that we're going to concretize and say, this is the way it's going to be forever. I'm an urban planner, for example, and um, I could never understand um, master plans within an urban and transportation setting that go for another 15 years. That's not possible anymore. Things are happening too fast. So how do we develop, rather than, than making the plans with not enough types of brains around the table, but we can we build and enrich the alliances between the different sectors, not only within each region and, and um, industry, but 
globally so that we can begin to really borrow from all the different experiments that are going on and so that we can develop even policy frameworks rather than policies and rules and regulations to say, okay, here's the goal, um, figure out a way together of how to do this and we will keep on supporting it. I can just, ma just mention one thing. Uh, in I think in Netherlands, in Rotterdam, they had this project where a company um, helped put out parking pl places, virtual parking places, depending on if people, for example, were going to move that day. There, there were not parking lots you know, on a permanent basis, mm -hmm. but let's say that you needed to move your car in front of the of the entrance mm -hmm. uh, during one day or two because you're going to move out stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you could put up this virtual mark by having this um, uh, this code, what do you call it, uh, where it's like uh, you put on the wall and uh, you can read it with, uh, with an IR code. Uh, QR code. Yeah, oh, exa yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. A QR code, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, by just checking that, the, the parking police could just check, okay, this car can stand yeah. here because during this time it's allowed to have the car. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going back to what you said that today we have an opportunity to use the data in a really yeah. good way. If you use it good in a good way, it can be very good to make it efficient and mm. to, to allow space that yeah. we don't have another time, for example, or if you have a, a, bid, a big uh, party going on, a right. big parade going yeah. on in the city, then you can just, okay, during that and that time, we know that the parking space around this area will be this and this. And yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I have to tell you, I'm advising to a really exciting project in Toronto, which has also been very controversial because it's Sidewalk Labs, which is a Google spinoff, right? And um, the idea is to redevelop an entire swath of Toronto's waterfront, which has been factory for a long time. So there's such great potential for developing this into sort of a tech town segment. And um, the interesting part for Torontonians, who I, I love this about them, and they're like Swedes, I think, <laughs> in terms of we want control of our data, personal control of our data, and those kinds of beautiful public goals that aren't about like oh yeah i could sell my my day you know it's more it's more like data is important to us you know but um but i see in these opportunities that are testing it on the ground with companies that are saying well how do we make the absolute best use of data so that it can actually improve life in a quantitative way so so you know even it's like when your stat on your health can contribute to a, a, a better public result because you have all this data so that kind of thing um, being explored by companies and those companies investing in redeveloping an area to see how certain new ways of doing things including doing data can work and then being able to you know do those do that somewhere else to me that feels better that along with exploring what other industries should be and can be involved feels a little better than sort of being in public sector and not wanting industry to be involved and mm -hmm. vice versa so even though the experiments are kind of making people nervous <laughs> Um, it's not the traditional public-private partnerships. Some public-private partnerships are extremely beneficial and good, but they're, they're kind of more cast in stone. Whereas the new kinds of public-private um, relationships 
even though they can be daunting and terrifying <laughs> and complex, um, if we're not focusing on learning how to do that, then um, I think we won't have the kinds of systems that are going to serve all of the different challenges and all the huge opportunities we have in the future. I'd like to know that you have to move on here. So yes. I'll, I'll say to you, Anna, do you have any questions you would like to finish with or uh, before she, you're going to run away? So Yes. So, yeah, I, I have uh, thousands of questions for you. I think this uh, this is a lovely, uh, lovely talk. Um, but I likewise. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, one question that I have, we, we talked about lifting uh, lifting the perspective up from technology or transport mm -hmm. to higher. What do we need? What are the means? Mm -hmm. um, can you can you give some concrete advice? What should we focus on? What should if if we don't measure uh, when self-driving vehicles are on the streets? What what should we kind of measure or strive for um, on this? Uh, what are the, what are really the means? Or or sorry, what are really the ends? Mm -hmm. um, you can move this a little bit. Awesome. You can just move it in front. So. Um, I love that question. It's it's a mm -hmm. way too long question, but what I'm going to reiterate is that as humans, we want to be able to continually adapt. This is where the infinite game comes in again. So if I were to say, well, obviously, <laughs> we want to focus on climate change. <laughs> obviously, we want to get a better economy. We don't care about anything else, right? And so that's our goal. Well, no, we have to balance. The, the, the public and private have to balance what the goals are at any one time. And so the better we are at together making those goals and then adjusting them as we meet certain goals, or as we don't care about them so much anymore because something else becomes way more important. The fact is that we are working towards the goals. We're not working towards the things that create the goals, that, that, that's, that meet the goals then, but won't necessarily meet the goals later. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to evolve. I don't mean to evade your question. In fact, I, I address it fully <laughs> because this is one of the major learnings we need. It's, it's, it, we have a lot of situations in which the research community is not even there, isn't even able to help and watch and observe how these interactions are happening. That's a huge area of research that should be pursued because, you know, how are we working this out? And how are some different places working this out? So in every different city, there's also a legacy where you we, we can't, we've got contracts 30 years forward with this thing, but we can actually link that or we can try and change those contracts, but we can link it with other things that come up. So we need to be able to adjust and not cast things in stone. And we need to be able to remember that we're constantly make, checking in on what our goals are. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I really recognize this because we are on, on uh, my research center uh, at KTH. We, we work with this. OK, so what is then good mobility? What is uh, yeah, what are what are the, the ends that mm -hmm. we want? What are the goals? Mm -hmm. And it's very challenging to meet, uh, to have the goals from different stakeholders to meet and, and to really understand. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, very. Um, 
Very good answer. <laughs> I'm glad. I, uh, I have a list for you that I'll send you, yeah, and it's great. by Ursula Franklin, who you're going to love. Um, and she has seven things that should be asked of any public policy before supporting it financially or with um, or political. Uh, and and it's uh, does it increase reciprocity? Does it? Um, uh, I'll have to I'll have to send it to you and and maybe I can go find it and 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 read it. But it it's um, these seven things are so basic, uh, but they can be applied to any particular city or or area. Before we wrap up, just to want, wanted to to raise uh, make people um, aware of that this conference is coming up. And you can perhaps repeat it, and also the homepage if people are interested. If they, if it's still, this will be published uh, probably two days before the conference. So, if are there any possibility to to come to the conference, um, or is it fully booked? Um, <coughs> it is. Uh, it is very close to fully booked. Uh, but if someone wants to come to it, uh, we can make sure to to open one more seat or two. And wh how do they, where do they turn if you want to check out more about the conference or contact you for, for tickets or something? Yes, yeah, so they can check out the ITRL webpage. And uh, I put a link in, in the comments as well, so yeah. Perfect, excellent. Yeah. And it's on the 13th and 14th of June okay. uh, this year. <laughs> this year, yes, coming up, okay. Uh, and finally, just one final question before we wrap up. Uh, if you were to look into the future a little bit, let's say four years from now, how do you see um, self-driving technology and, and electric transports and, and mobility service? Will it change from today, do you think, rapidly with technology like this? Or will it go like a steady curve, sort of a linear development? Do you see, if you want to make any kind of forward-looking statements or uh, kind of elaborating, just as a final kind of looking into the future? So my answer is yes. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, just having worked in all the different cities and seeing the rates at which they accelerate and then slow down for a while, um, my answer would be <clears throat> it's going to continue to advance forward. Um, already there are lots and lots of new names for mobility as a service. Uh, I personally tend to think more of mobility as a service as being the framework within which everything exists or the platform. And so I think that that's going to increasingly happen where there's going to be a lot more connectivity between all the different innovations. And I, I see that as really good as long as we can continue to make sure that we focus on the needs and the benefits and not on the means. Uh, thank you both for coming and on such short, short notice you've just been here for a couple of hours so <laughs> welcome to sweden again oh it's yeah. lovely to be here <laughs> yeah uh, i really enjoyed this conversation uh, and um, if you have anything to add before we end uh, please do so well i am a little jet lag so okay. I, I don't have anything <laughs> no. for you now but no, we have covered <laughs> a lot of things time. in a short time no? <laughs> i think you did a really good job and i really enjoyed this conversation so thank you for coming again if you enjoyed this podcast as well, feel free to continue the conversation on our YouTube channel, Evolution Show, and share the podcast with others. In the next episode, I'll talk to Mikael Malmius, one of the researchers behind a very interesting Swedish report called Futures Beyond Growth, looking at sustainable alternatives beyond economic growth with different scenarios for the future. We always appreciate your feedback. Was it good or bad? Consider leaving a comment to help us improve the show. 
if you want to listen to the show as soon as it comes out. Don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform. I hope you join us in two weeks for the next episode.